Welcome to IBBA Insights, providing expert advice on buying or selling small businesses. IBBA Insights is presented by the International Business Brokers Association, the world's largest nonprofit organization for those helping others sell or buy businesses. Now, here's your host, Press Diglio. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of IBBA Insights. I'm your host, Chris Diglio. I'm extremely excited today. It's not every day that you get to interview what you would consider in any business or profession or even sports, you know, icons in an industry. And today I'd only get to interview one, but I get to interview three icons in business brokerage. And I consider them icons because these men have paved the way for us all to enjoy the success that we have today and, can, and they continue to fight for us each and every day. You know, I consider them heroes in our industry and that we owe them all a great deal of debt and gratitude. And, and I don't use those words lightly. And I say that because anytime someone volunteers of their time and not just a little bit of their time, but countless hours of their time to fight for something that could benefit, you know, everyone in the business brokers profession, when when they agree to come on a show and talk to us about what's going on, we should take the time and we should listen because as much as I'm going to be interviewing and talking with them today, I'm going to be listening to everything that they have to say. Uh, we're going to specifically talk about the campaign for clarity and everything that's gone on in, 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 with that throughout the years. And so in order to get all this in and the time we have allotted today, I'm going to do a very brief introduction on my three guests and then we're going to run right into the questions so so we can inform and bring you all the information that that you want to know and hear because there's a lot of things a lot of whispers that you hear in the background sometimes a lot of rumors that's going on but we're going to get it you know straight as they say from the horse's mouth and we're going to get all the updated information on what's going on so my first guest today is Jim Finowich he's a partner and designated broker at IBG Fox and Finn in in the Phoenix office Jim is a certified business intermediary M&A master intermediary and a business brokerage specialist who's managed and supervised more than 500 transactions. He's also a real estate broker in the state of Arizona. He holds the Series 63 and Series 82 securities uh, registration under CEIBA Financial. He's a recipient of the Tom West Award. And there is even a day named after him, the Jim Affinowitz Day by the Valley Board of Business Brokers. Jim, I welcome you to IBBA Insights. Thank you for having me, Chris. Uh, look forward to the show today. Um, I'm so grateful that you have taken time out to join us. And our, our next guest is Mike Ertle, and he's the Managing Director of Transworld M&A Advisors. Mike holds several certifications, including the Certified Business Intermediary and the M&A Master Intermediary, and he's a Certified M&A Advisor. Mike's a registered representative of uh, and securities of uh, secu and has the securities transactions are conducted through Still Point Capital, and Mike has been a uh, has spearheaded and been a fighter for the campaign for clarity and the things we're going to talk about for a very long time and and donates so much so much of his time more than we probably will ever know um, to this cause. Mike, welcome to the show today. Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. Well, great to have you. And last but not least. Um, John Zayak is going to join us today. He's the founder of the International Business Group, which began in 1986. He's a certified business intermediary uh, through the International Business Brokers Association, the Series 63 and 82 securities registration under Still Point Capital, and he's a fellow of the IBBA. Um, John, thank you so much for, for joining us today, and pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Chris. 
Oh, I'm excited to be on it, and I can tell we did this alphabetically, so I feel like I'm in my normal spot. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to do it alphabetically, so let's just, sure, okay, alphabetically it is. So, um, it, I again, the, the, I'm so happy to have the three of you on the call today, and I want to kind of jump right into it, and I'm going to ask each one of you questions as we go, but feel free to join in and, and add to anything that you want to. I, uh, again, it's important that we get the information out there and educate and let everyone in the, in, within our industry feel a little more closer to what's going on. So I think we just start with the nuts and bolts of it, uh, bolts of it, Mike, and ask you, why don't you tell us what exactly is the Campaign for Clarity and HR 935? Well, the Campaign for Clarity is really an industry-wide uh, effort that began back in September of 2006 to try to clarify and hopefully simplify when does a business broker or an M&A advisor need to hold a securities license to legally facilitate the sale of an ongoing business. Uh, we worked for about six years directly with the SEC and uh, at their suggestion, we began working with Congress in about 2013. And we've had a bill pass Congress, the House of Representatives, twice unanimously that would uh, that would codify an SEC no action letter that was released in uh, January of 2014 that says regardless of the size of the transaction if the business broker is not holding the funds or holding the securities or have the power to uh, close the transaction or, or bind the transaction and if he's not raising funds he does not need to register with the SEC uh, but that doesn't change the law. The purpose of the campaign and HR 935 is to change the law and reflect that regulatory relief that's in the no action letter. And, and as you mentioned, this is something you started working on quite a while ago. And I, I, what what started you on this path to decide? You know, this is important enough that that we need to we need to we need to work on this. Well, I was I was in the wrong place at the right time when uh, a uh, securities attorney from Washington D.C. was addressing the uh, one of the industry association conferences and, and indicating that uh, many of these transactions are are being illegally facilitated and you're putting yourself and your client at risk if you don't have a securities license when when it is in fact a securities transaction. So interesting. So like like a lot of things in life, you uh, right place, right time, right? Uh, or you look back, you, you probably didn't realize uh, how much uh, of your life and time that you would have dedicated to this. I mean, to date, I mean, if you had to guess how much time you have invested in this, w would you even be able to, to garner a, a guess? I, I would be embarrassed to admit how much time I've spent pursuing this. But as you've earlier pointed out, it really affects uh, almost every business broker in the profession. Uh, it's amazing how many transactions uh, actually involve securities uh, that business brokers are unaware of. So I want to touch on that, and I'm going to uh, talk to now uh, John and Jim, and I'd like to ask them, because Mike, you mentioned securities. And business brokers in general think, well, well, that that's not me. I'm a Main Street business broker, or or, or they don't really understand what a securities deal is. So, John uh, and Jim, if you guys don't mind, why don't you take us through that journey of 
what really constitutes or what what makes a transaction a securities deal? Well, I mean, the simple answer is if you're selling the stock in a corporation, everybody says, yeah, that's a securities deal. So that's that's pretty simple. But a lot of people don't realize an ESOP is a securities transaction. But what really hurts the business brokerage community, community is when you have an earnout or a conditional payment in a transaction. That's interpreted in a lot of cases as a security. The other item that occurs is that we get partial sales or retained interest by the seller to act as a rollover interest or some other inducement in the transaction. And, and that's a that's just a, a bullseye for a securities transaction. And recently, and even Jim might be able to speak more to it, there is some Supreme Court cases now pointing towards certain promissory notes can be construed as a as a securities. So it, it's a very you know it's a very broad envelope and a lot of people try to hide from it or just ignore it. And I would add to that, if it is not all cash for what the contract calls an asset sale, there's a good chance that it could be a security, and you need to make sure by consulting the proper uh, legal counsel. The consequences are just too great for running afoul of the law to not be absolutely sure. And, and I want to talk about that a little further. I'm going to get into that in just a minute, but I want to put the focus on on Main Street business brokerage for a second. And 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 for Main Street, typical uh, small business sales, what would cause a buyer or seller to want to restructure an asset sale as the sale of equity? And and Jim, I'm going to start with you, but I'd also like to hear hear from Mike and and John on this. Well, two things come to mind. One is for tax purposes. If someone has a C corporation, they may have a double level of taxation. So if they sell the stock as a company, they're only going to have one level of taxation. Uh, a second reason is because of contracts that may exist with suppliers or customers. Uh, you may have a contract, a government contract, that is very difficult to get. And so if the same corporation continues in the contract, that's a lot easier than trying to get a new contract for a buyer. So two reasons. Well, good. A Mike, would you reason, have anything you'd like to add to that? Sure. A third reason might be licenses. If uh, uh, certain businesses like daycare centers or uh, require a license to operate and they can be uh, Easy to get years ago, but very difficult to get today. And so you may want to preserve that license by purchasing the, the corporation stock. Interesting. And John, anything that you could add to this at all, or do they pretty much cover it all? Well, sure. You know, well, they covered, I think, some of the really important items, but there's still just the, the, the natural cause or reason to have a securities transaction, and that is for tax efficiency. Um, when you sell the securities, the, the stock in a company, your basis is typically low, and all the appreciated value can be treated as capital gains. Um, otherwise, then you run into some uh, recapture that can be at ordinary income in an asset sale, depending on how it's allocated. So, yeah, taxes are a big incentive right now 
uh, and it's going to be a growing incentive in the future because of some of the potential tax changes being proposed by the current administration. So now, I don't want to be the doom and gloom guy or, or, or the, you know, the, oh my God, the, the, the sky is falling, you know, but, you know, so we're not sitting here on this, on this recording um, to sit here and scare the death out of everyone, but we want to make people aware. But Jim, you have the business brokers out there that are working on deals every day and they're sitting there thinking, oh, the hogwash, you know, this is never going to happen to me. It doesn't pertain to me. So why in the world would you say it's important to them? Um, and, and could it happen to them? Could these things that we talk about or the, or the horror stories we hear, could it actually happen to, you know, a Main Street business broker that's, that's out there every day just, you know, selling, you know, businesses under, uh, let's say, a, a million dollars uh, in, in enterprise value or so? Yes, it can. You know, it's, the question is, if you're on the freeway, and you're speeding, but no one sees you, are you really breaking the law? Uh, or are you only breaking the law until you get pulled over? Well, we, we all know the answer to that question, but uh, I think you have to look at the consequences of selling a security without being properly licensed. One of the consequences is recension of the deal. And, you know, there's usually not a problem until there's a complaint. But I hold, heard of a story that happened to one of our association members in California. They sold a business, did not have a securities license, but it morphed into a stock sale. So they went three years down the road. The buyer ran the business into the ground, was terrible at running the business, uh, found out afterwards in talking to some attorney that it was a securities transaction. So they went back to, they filed the lawsuit, they went before the judge. The judge said, yep, this was a securities transaction and that can be rescinded. So Mr. Buyer, you give the business back to the seller. Uh, Mr. Seller, you give the money back to the buyer and broker, you return your money. Well, there was no business to return. They had run the business into the ground and the seller still had to give the money back to the buyer for his broken business. And then the seller came after the broker. So had that deal gone through and there was no problem, uh, Subsequent to the close, maybe they wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been a problem. But if there is a problem in a transaction, people always look for somebody else to blame. And the broker is one of those people. So do you want to take the chance of your seller's business having to be returned? Of you having to, as a broker, pay all the financial loss for doing that because you weren't licensed? Probably not worth the chance. That's one consequence that it can be very severe and can happen no matter what size sale. You know, I've, I've been doing this a long time and I can tell you, I have never heard a buyer say, I bought that business. I was a terrible manager and I drove it into the ground. It's my fault. They want to blame someone else. So and yes, it can happen to a main street broker. And, and in your story that you just said, I mean, three years later, and then the broker's asked to, oh, by the way, 
that commission you were paid and probably spent five times over, you have to give that back. Wow. Well, and, and oh. to, to underscore what Jim said, the broker in that case can be personally liable for the cost of putting it back together. So his financial uh, hit can be much more than the commission he earned in the first place. Wow, those are serious consequences. Um, I, I shake my head because I, I listen and I hear and I've heard some of these stories and every time I hear it, it's like hearing it for the first time. And, and you know, it's I can't even imagine being in that situation. So we take that and we talk about some precautions that have been put into place or things that have been put into place that have been worked on to try to help us all. Uh, that are in the business brokerage uh, profession, and and there's something out there called the 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 no action letter. Um, if we talk about the NAL or the no action letter, how, or or even a state exemption, Mike, how does that protect the business broker in in situations like stories that um, uh, that Jim shared with us? Well, it, the, the the federal no action letter, the SEC no action letter of 2014 is unusual in that it is sweeping. Uh, most, no, most no action letters relate to a very specific transaction and your situation must exactly fit the facts and circumstances of the no action transaction or it doesn't apply. The, the uh, SEC M&A broker no action letter says regardless of the size of the deal, if you don't hold the funds, if you don't hold the securities, if you don't have the power to bind the parties, if you're not raising capital from private investors, you don't need to register. But what it also says is, we won't recommend to the enforcement division of the SEC that you be prosecuted for not registering. It doesn't change the law. And a lot of courts take the position that a no action letter is written by one member of the SEC staff. And in this case, that person is no longer even on the SEC staff. So. It's one man's opinion. It didn't change the law. As a judge, I'm here to enforce the law. So we're trying, the, the purpose of the Campaign for Clarity and H.R. 935 is to get Congress to pass a bill that will change the law to reflect the relief that's in the no-action letter. State exemptions are also important because securities transactions are one of very few activities that are regulated by both federal law and state law. And you must be in compliance with both. And there are now 18 states that have adopted the SEC no action letter or the NASA model state rule and have changed their law to exempt business brokers and M&A advisors from having to register with the state securities commission. But we still need to change federal law and we still need to get 32 other states to adopt that. And John, um, is there anything that, that, we, that, that Mike just talked about and we're talking about the, the no action letter or the state exemptions and the protection that's out there. Uh, anything you can add to that? You know, um, the only thing I guess I would echo that Mike brought up is the no action letter is very specific to a case and it's one person's opinion. It's not a binding court obligation. It's a guideline and candidly, I don't know a lot of cases that I've researched in the last 
last 15 years where an NAL really was helpful because it's so specific. And it really basically says in our system, I believe, and Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, and if you're going to rely on the NAL, you should almost submit your case to make sure it's approved under those guidelines. So it's a very arduous, difficult process. It doesn't really protect our, our members. You've got to remember, as Mike said, federal law still says you must be licensed. You're breaking federal law. And any attorney worth, worth his salt is going to pursue you on a federal level. And the bottom line is, um, Jim Finowich said earlier, you know, you're personally liable. Um, why would you risk everything? And, and in our industry, guys, a lot of us, you know, kind of keep our head low and say, ah, no, you know, this, this deal will be fine. I can sell the securities or the stock to facilitate the transaction because of the earlier reasons we spoke of. But the, the real bottom line, though, is they're really putting themselves at a very high-risk environment that could impact themselves personally, their family, as well as their clients. So, you know, it's, it's a scary, scary endeavor. It, it certainly is. And so the next question on, on everyone's mind would be, okay, so what you're telling me is I need to be compliant. So I'd ask Jim Mifinowicz, Jim, what, it, what does it cost or what does it take for one to be compliant? What does that mean? Well, it means that you have to have a securities license. So that is taking classes, passing tests to do it. There's a fair amount of studying involved with it. Then you either need to have your own broker dealer uh, or be affiliated with a broker dealer. And in our world, it makes more sense for a Main Street broker to be affiliated with a broker dealer. And there are a number of them that operate with a system that allows people to have their license with them to make sure that everything they do keeps them in compliance. And the cost of doing that varies depending upon what broker-dealer you're with. Some broker-dealers will take a percentage of your transactions. Um, usually, it's a percentage of only securities transactions, so you don't have to run an asset sale through them. But a securities transaction, you will. Other broker-dealers will charge fixed monthly fees and not take a percentage of the transaction. But there is absolutely a cost with it, just like there's a cost with buying insurance for your car and other things. And, and that's how I would look at the cost is, as deal insurance, in my mind. Yeah, and it sounds like if you'd like to sleep well at night and lay your head down on the pillow and, and, and not continually look over the shoulder of what, what could potentially happen, it, it sounds like that would be very important to make sure you, you are compliant and look into it and, and understand how you can protect yourself. Yeah, I, I'll tell you a story about another member of the M&A source who had a transaction turned into a security sale. It was two days before closing. There was a half a million dollar fee done on it, uh, due on it. And the attorney for the seller called the broker and said, oh, by the way, um, I'd like, I need a copy of your securities license. And he said, oh, well, I, I don't have a securities license. And the attorney said, oh, darn, you know, this turned into a stock sale and we really want to pay you your half million dollar fee, but we can't do that because you don't have a securities license. We can't, 
we can't pay that commission. So we, we'd really like to, but sorry, we're not able to. Well, a number of years ago, I had a transaction shortly after hearing that story with a $1.2 million fee. And I decided that I didn't want to get that call from an attorney telling me how much he really wanted to pay me that fee and couldn't. So I went out and got my license just to make sure that that didn't happen. That was too big a commission for me to risk being uh, challenged for not having a license. Wow. I mean, we're all creatures of habit. You know, we, we, we try not to look at how much money we're going to make on a deal but you know two days before closing a half a million dollar fee you know that broker was figuring out how that money might be spent or invested or the things they're going to do with that that had to be such a punch in the gut um and, and i can't even imagine what that would feel like yeah and that, that broker called another broker who's licensed and said can you help me out can you uh, can you take the fee for me? And he said, I would be absolutely willing to do that for you. Have him send the fee to me. But by the way, I can't share a fee with another broker. I can't share a securities fee with another broker who isn't securities licensed. So go ahead and send me that half million dollar fee. And every time we go out to lunch, I'll pay in the future. And not even a dinner, lunch, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Very generous. <laughs> well, all right. So we got a couple more things I want to get through. And, and I think what's important to understand, we talked a lot about, you know, what it means and how you got started and, 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 and why, it, why the importance of, of everything involved to be compliant. But I'd like to ask all three of you this question, and, and I'll start with Mike. And then I'd like to hear from John and then Jim, but you know, what is different today than our attempts that we that were made in the past 10 years? What what's changed? Uh this is Mike. I would say that that uh in the very beginning our hope was we could create a separate license for MA advisors and we would register with the SEC as MA advisors, but not have to register with FINRA. Uh, early on in our first attempt to get a bill passed through Congress, the SEC weighed in and said, there's so little evidence of mis, um, uh, of indiscretion in this sector of the economy that it's not worth the expense of creating up a separate registration. We would prefer that you simply exempt them from having to register. So from, from the early days of our trying to get a bill passed through Congress, we've been trying to codify the notion that an M&A advisor doesn't need to be registered if they meet these guidelines. We've, we've had unanimous support in the U.S. House uh, through several sessions of Congress, and we've gotten stalled in the Senate because uh, the Senate, uh, well, there, there may be 8,000 bills introduced in every two-year session of Congress. There are about 200 bills that get passed by the Senate in every two-year session of Congress. So our bill just didn't rise to the level of being big enough to attract the attention of Congress. And what's different uh, this year, we're hopeful because we've, we're talking to the Senate Banking Committee that's trying to put together an omnibus bill, that our bill can be one title in a larger bill that has a dozen or more small bills that uh, individually wouldn't justify a separate action, but collectively have a good chance of getting passed. Very good. 
John? I mean, I think, um, and this may not be a surprise to anybody on this podcast or listening to it, I think in the most recent four to eight years, we've had a fairly challenging um, administration process between the Senate and the House, and it still continues today. So it's been a little dysfunctional, maybe is maybe not a PC word to use, but it seems now that there are just some common sense legislation. Uh, we have a new administration, and they they want to get low hanging fruit, and and this has gone through the House so many times with just lightning speed and gets stuck in the Senate. So we're hoping that this is logically a low hanging fruit for the administration to be productive and solve a problem that is just very logical uh, to protect small businesses because it really impacts a tremendous number of small businesses that potentially have a liability and or pay higher taxes because they can't affect the securities transaction the sale of their business. And Jim, in, in, in your eyes, what's different today in the past 10 years and, and, and are we anywhere closer to, to getting this thing done? Optimistically, I'd like to think we are um, for all the reasons that uh, John and uh, Mike have said. So I I don't think I have any other optimism to add. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. And we're we're coming down to the end of our allotted time, but I do have a couple more things I want to go over. You know, I mentioned early when I did the introduction, and I meant everything I said, about the amount of time and, and, and the debt of gratitude owed to not just the three of you, but all those, that, all those that have been involved and continue to be involved. But clearly, as the three of you have mentioned on, on the show, it's not just, it doesn't just affect the three of you. If you're in business brokerage or you're a business intermediary, you're involved in the sale of businesses, this affects each and every one of us that can hear my voice on this podcast and your voices on this podcast. So it's not fair that the burden falls on just a few. So what can we do? What can I do? What can others do to help support this endeavor? And John, I'm going to start with you and and, and Mike and Jim, if you'd like to add anything to it, please feel free, because this is the point I want to get across. We all should be involved. You know, Chris, that's so true. Matter of fact, I think business brokers are at higher risk than anyone else because, you know, attorneys now are communicating amongst themselves that this isn't out for a client where a buyer bought a deal and he just screwed it up and and hosed the business. It's a way to put back the deal to the seller and hold the broker personally liable. It's it's a free get out of jail card. And as more and more attorneys become aware of it, I think it's really going to impact more of the small business transaction level. So what can you do uh, in this endeavor? How do you support it? First of all, I think you have to stay in touch and and educated to what is going on. So we're going to continue to try to send you every other month an email to both associations to update you on where we are, because we've got some exciting news going on right now. We didn't discuss about Senator Toomey out of Pennsylvania that's kind of ramriding this through for us and some other um, bipartisan support. But the key is when we reach out to you, we're trying not to, you know, hit people with too much of a request too often. But when we contact you, it's so important that you reach out to your local representative. Call, email, and have everyone in your office contact them because once we get into the Senate and we get out of the House, and 
in the process of review, we need all our members to 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 use their voice and their email and their abilities to communicate it. Um, we'll keep you informed and we'll keep you aware of where we are in the process, but be ready, be cocked and loaded to um, affect some action to support it. Mike, you want to speak to uh, some of the other support we need? Well, I uh, I want to thank the uh, national associations and the regional associations who have who have been continuously generously supportive uh, financially because we do spend money with securities attorneys and we do spend money with a Washington lobbyist trying to get these uh, bills through the Congress and and that costs money. Um, so we do appreciate their financial support and we we very much appreciate the financial support of the individual intermediaries who are really the ones who will benefit most when this bill gets passed. Um, and uh, as, as John said, we try to keep people informed and as we have a, something we need you to, Congress, to uh, write your congressmen or senators about, uh, we will send out a, 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 an email blast with a link that is very, very simple for you to simply click on that link, enter your zip code, and it'll determine who your senators and congressmen are and send them a, a pre drafted message that you can edit and personalize if you want or send it as is. And we, we need you to do that when the time comes. So when we hear the trumpet sound, we need to be ready to act, huh? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's well said. I like that. You know, um, Jim, I know you've, I've known you for many, many years. We, we've gone to different classes together. I've taken a lot of your classes. We went to train the trainer together many years ago. And, and, and through the IBBA and the M&A source, I know they've both been huge supporters uh, of this, but so have other associations. And, 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 and so it goes beyond, although this is an IBBA uh, podcast and we're affiliated, as you know, all together, IBBA, M&A source, it goes beyond just the IBBA and the M&A source. I mean, this is to those, everyone that's out there that are listening that are involved in these transactions. I mean, it's, it's, it's our duty to, to be a part of or to help or, or, or to, to help get the word out because we're going to be the beneficiaries of all the hard work that you guys are doing. So, so Jim, anything you, you final words you'd like to add? I would, well, you've hit the nail on the head. This affects everybody who is involved as an intermediary in the sale of businesses, regardless of what association you belong to or don't belong to. And, uh, I would hope that people that are involved in this business see what our associations are doing, the time and effort, and become new members, because there is strength in numbers. And there are far more people being affected by this than just the number of people in our associations. So, well, I, I'd like to thank the more worldwide. <laughs> no, that's fine. Blow it loud. <laughs> Let us all hear, because, you know, it's time to act. We have to again, don't want to be the one sitting at the wrong end of the table being told that, oh, that commission you thought you were going to get paid, you're not going to get. I don't think anyone listening wants to be in that position. And we certainly, we could feel for those that have been. So I want to thank the three of you so much for all of your efforts again and your hard work. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'd like to individually give the three of you uh, one last opportunity to let the listeners know if they have a question about this or if they just like to shoot you a, an email or a line on uh, to thank you for all that you've done. 
how can they contact you? And uh, as we start, I'll start with Jim, then go to Mike, and then end with, with John. Um, my contact information is listed in M&A Source and IVBA's directory. Feel free to email or call me anytime. Uh, and also feel free to do that with the other members here. This Thank is you, Mike. I can, yeah, I concur. My contact information is in M&A Source. And uh, I, I would love to hear from you. Thank you, Mike. And John? The only thing I would add, guys, just to make it simple for the, the listeners. Yeah, just to make it simple for the listeners today, you can reach me at 303-758-4000. Just give me a call and uh, be more than happy to help in any way I can. Uh, it's it's a challenging, complex environment, and it does impact you. Don't don't ignore it because it will bite you eventually. And, and, and John, thank you also. And then I guess I want to squeeze in one last question. So if there's is there a place that someone could go specifically to learn more about the campaign for clarity? The uh, BIEF Absolutely. Website. You know, on each of the IBBA and the MBA. Yep. So go ahead, John, and then it's Mike. Actually, the BIEF Foundation. It's BIE Foundation. Uh, the webpage uh, is for the Business Intermediary Educational Foundation is BIEFOUN. D-A-T-I-O-N dot org. So B Foundation with one F dot org. You can also get the link, guys, from the IBBA. It's right on their homepage. Same with the AMAA and the M&A source. So uh, they all link uh, to this uh, to the B Foundation, and uh, they're there to help you, uh, not just with this initiative, but others. And it's nice to hear that. Sounds like there's a unified effort amongst all the associations to to try to get this done. So Again, you know, four of us on a, on an interview, I think we did a really good job of getting it done in a timely manner, not talking over each other uh, all that much and being able to get the point across. So all of you out there that are listening, again, like to personally thank John Zayak, Mike Ertle, and Jim Afinowich, and all the others that helped them along the way in this endeavor. Again, we owe them a, a debt of gratitude. I've said that three times, but I can't say it enough. Um, so again, thank you, thank you, thank you, gentlemen, for taking time out of your busy schedules, not only to volunteer and all that you do, but to be on today's episode of IBBA Insights. And for all of you that are listening uh, to the show and you'd like to learn more about IBBA Insights or hear the other episodes that we've had, you go to ibba.org insights. And once you're there, you can subscribe by clicking the Apple, Android, or even the email icon. And then you never have to miss an episode of IBBA Insights again. I hope all of you out there today have taken to heart what was said um, about compliance and about what you can do and really our, our need and our obligation to help out what's going on with the Campaign for Clarity and, and, and everything else uh, surrounding it. So again, when you hear that trumpet sound, be ready to jump in and help, but the, the help can be had now. There's plenty of things to do and plenty for us to all to be able to help. So let's all do our part and, and so it's not so burdensome burdensome on, on the others. So again, hope you enjoyed today's episode of IBBA Insights. We'll be back again real soon with more uh, great content and information like this. Thank the IBBA uh, for putting on the IBBA Insights podcast. I'm Chris Diglio. I'm your host and look forward to talking to you again on the next episode of IBBA Insights.